works. <laughs> the leg didn't fall off the piano this service like last. We repaired it with some duct tape. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 13. We're going to be looking at legalism exposed and refuted. Alvin tried to find some picture that represented that. <laughs> uh, this squashed cockroach. You'll have to ask him the symbolism of that. I'm not quite sure what that means. It doesn't look good, though. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. Legalism is one of those sneaky doctrines that can kind of sneak up on you unawares and ambush you. And a lot of times we don't even know that we've fallen into legalism. And uh, it's especially common among those who have strong doctrinal convictions and among those who want to obey God in every area of their life, which, of course, is most of us here at Calvary Bible Church. Having strong doctrinal convictions is good. Wanting to obey the Lord in every area of our life is good. But one of the deluding qualities of legalism is that we are often blind to its presence. It's, it's uh, presence. It's like pride where everybody sees it but you. Well, I've preached on this subject before, and so I want to just do a quick survey of some of the different kinds of legalism to remind you of, of what it is and what it isn't. Legalism tends to be, you know, one of those general terms you call somebody that you disagree with. You know, when they, when, when they disagree, well, you're just a legalist. Um, it's kind of a, a general get out of my face term in some circles where, you know, if you tell somebody they need to obey, you're a legalist. And, and uh, you know, if you preach too long, you're a legalist and, you know, whatever. You're just a legalist if you wear a suit. So, um there is a lot of misunderstanding of what legalism is. And so let's just talk about this briefly. And we've done this in the past. And as we'll, we'll see in text coming up, um, we're going to deal with it some more. But notice here that, first of all, legalism is when you try to get to heaven by your own works. I think that's probably the most common definition. You think You can get saved, get to heaven, escape hell because of what you do or what you don't do. This is a form of legalism. The legalist thinks in their mind that I've been a good person. I've done these things. I've abstained from these other things. Therefore, since I'm better than the average person, I'm going to get to go to heaven. Well, of course, that is not true. There's only one way you get to heaven, and that is by salvation through Faith, faith in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, the person of Christ, that is what saves you. But what's interesting, and you could talk to any of the pastors here, we often speak to people who profess to believe in salvation by grace through faith alone, and yet when we talk to them, ask them questions like, you know, how do you know you're going to heaven and things like that, they'll begin to tell us all the things they've done or not done. Now that is interesting, isn't it? When a person says with their mouth, yes, I believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And then when you question them, how do you know you're going to heaven? Why would Jesus let you into heaven? Then they profess with their mouths. Well, listen, I've gone to church. I haven't murdered anybody. I try and read my Bible. I'm a good person. I don't beat my wife or whatever. You know, they give you all of these things that they do or don't do, which indicates what? 
it indicates they're legalists. That they're trying to be saved by their works. Though they profess the correct doctrine, their real trust is in them. And that is a damning form of legalism. Secondly, there's the kind of legalism that even manifests itself in the lives of true believers. Now, that is when we create little personal convictions, uh, uh, man-made traditions, things like that, which in and of themselves aren't bad. But when we begin to look down on others or condemn others as sinning because they aren't holding to our rules... Then we have crossed the line from just having personal convictions or traditions to being a legalist. Because what we're doing is we're really elevating our man-made religion to the same authority and in some cases above the authority of Scripture. Common forms of legalism in America are things like, you know, drinking alcohol or smoking or watching TV or dancing or sending your kids to public schools or dating. You can find people say, those are sin. You can't do that. That's sinful activity. Well, that is legalism because the Bible doesn't condemn these things outright. Granted, there are excesses in these areas, times when these things should be avoided. There's biblical principles which would apply to the regulation of these things. But, you know, there is no verse that says thou shalt not smoke. And so we need to be careful that we don't add that command to the Bible as, you know, the 11th or 12th commandment. Third, there is a kind of legalism That does all the right things, but not from the right heart motive. This can also be true and found um, in the lives of believers. Maybe we're in sin and we aren't dealing with our sin. And because of that, we just lose our joy. I mean, just church isn't that fun and reading your Bible isn't that fun. And you don't really like coming to church and and you don't like singing the songs and you don't like reading your bible and but you're doing the right things even though you don't want to your your doctrine's fine your actions are fine but your heart isn't in it you're worshiping in truth but not spirit you're just going through the religious motions because this is what the bible says i need to do that also is a form of legalism So legalism comes in these different forms. And as we get in our text this morning, we're going to see uh, some of this in the life of one of the people in our text. So uh, as we come to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, Jesus is now in a synagogue. He's teaching on the Sabbath. He is presenting the kingdom. We'll see this theme as we go down through the text and words and deeds to the people of Israel. He wants them to know that the kingdom of God, the king and the king wielding his power and the king and his servants are now in their midst and that they need to repent of their sins and believe in him. And so this is what happens one Sabbath in a synagogue. Starting in verse 10 of Luke 13, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit and she was bent double And could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during one of them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered and said to and said, 
You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath and tie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Now, from this text, I want to show you two facts about legalism and one response about legal to legalism so that each of us can, first of all, spot legalism in our own life. And secondly, so that we can learn what legalism is. And in case we see it in ourselves or even others, we can lovingly deal with it so that it doesn't infect the church. And the first is that legalists. Uh, misinterpret and apply the scripture. Look at verse 10. It says, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. You know, earlier in the gospel of Luke, we see this happening all the time. This is the last place in the gospel of Luke that we ever find Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And it's the last occurrence. It's, it's the only occurrence, as a matter of fact, in all four gospels of Jesus ever teaching in the Sabbath in the latter part of his ministry. By this time, he has generated so much hostility from the religious establishment that they don't want him teaching in their synagogues. So we don't know why. Maybe the crowd was you know, pressuring the synagogue official. Who knows? Um, but Jesus is in the synagogue possibly for the last time in his ministry teaching. Look at verse 11. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. Now, Luke, because he's a doctor, he's referred to as the beloved physician, usually likes to give a lot of details. When anybody's sick, he uh, he likes to fill us in and all the, the details. And he's going to do that in just a minute. But this woman, for 18 years, had a sickness caused by a spirit or a demon. We know that in other instances in the gospel, this happened. People were sick or ill or had what appeared to be epilepsy or things like that. And uh, it was caused by demonic influence. So the woman was afflicted with this sickness. And Luke goes on to describe it in the middle of verse 11, if you look there. And she was bent double and could not straighten up again. The words bent double mean she was really bent over. She was not just hunched over like this. I mean, she was bent all the way over. She was, you know, if you've been watching the Olympics, in the pike position. I mean, she was bent over, okay? And her head, in order to, if you were bent over like that and you wanted to go anyplace, you'd have to crane your neck up like this. And so it was very painful, as you can imagine, um, being bent over for 18 years. Now, I want you to just think about this. I think all of us have, you know hoed some weeds or maybe wielded a pickaxe a little bit, mopped the floor, done something where we've had to bend over for 10, 15 minutes, maybe a half an hour. And what happens at the end of that time? You're in pain. It's like, where's the Advil? You know, I mean, you're in pain. Why? Because your muscles are all stretched. There's all this pressure on your spine and on your, you know, the cartilage down there. And it's just, you're miserable. But imagine being that way for 18 years. 
This is what would happen. Either the cartilage would eventually move out of the way or would wear through because of the pressure and and calcium would begin to form and it would fuse your spine together. And, and the longer it would go like this, pretty soon your spine would become just a solid, rigid mass of calcium. The calcium would then form around your spine. There's a big medical term for it and I couldn't pronounce it, so I didn't even put it in my notes. But anyways, you basically become this like calcified arch where you can't even bend, you can't move. You're just kind of in this bent, frozen, painful position. That's the position that this lady is in. Now, as I was reading through my stack of commentaries, I I came across J.C. Riles, and he made this good little point, which I, I just love it. You know, I always write my sermons all the way out. I get them all the way done. Then I read the commentaries just to see if anybody found anything I didn't. But I don't want to be going to the commentaries first. But he just makes this point that I thought was so good. He said, notice where this woman is at on the Sabbath. And I just thought, well, she's with God's people worshiping. And I thought, you know, that is good. Because how often do we not come to church, not worship, not fellowship with believers for almost any excuse we can find? Oftentimes church becomes a place where we go to when there's nothing else to do. I guess we'll go get screamed at. (laughs) You know, there's just... There's just a mindset among many believers that church is, you know, on a list of 100, it's, you know, in the 90s. Low on our priority that if we, you know, we got a game, if we got a show to go to, if we got something else to go to, then we're going to do that because, you know, church isn't all that important. Ryle says, quote, let us never forget that our feelings about Sunday are the sure test of the state of our souls. The person who can find no pleasure in giving God one day in a week is clearly unfit for heaven. Heaven itself is nothing other than an eternal Sabbath. If we cannot enjoy a few hours in God's service once a week in this world, it is obvious that we could not enjoy an eternity in his service in the world to come. End quote, I thought that is good. I just wondered about that. I just wondered about Christians who have this kind of church's optional mentality. That hearing the word of God, that serving in ministries, that it, fellowshipping with the saints is just an option. Of course, people like that aren't even involved in a ministry because they can't be because they aren't here most of the time. They just come every once in a while, suck up some resources and then cast stones at people who aren't doing things like they should. The fact is, this woman is sacrificing to get to the synagogue. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. She's hurting. She's ugly to look at. Everybody stares at her. It's not fun. It's not easy. And she shows up anyways. Everybody in town surely knew this woman. I mean, she was like this for 18 years. Everybody knew her as the Ben over lady. I mean, think about it. You can't, you know, sneak around town and have nobody notice you when you're bent over in the pike position, you know, like this, walking around. You, you just can't do it. Everybody knew the lady. She was painful to look at. Well, the problem was, is because a lot of the Jews believed in what was called retribution theology, some people would look at her and think, well, she's probably sinned. 
And that's why this has happened to her. God must be punishing her. God must have cursed her because obviously if she was godly, God wouldn't have done this to her. So obviously she's not done what's right. And so a lot of people wouldn't even have very much compassion or sympathy on her because of her problem. Which we learn was caused by a demon. Now look at verse 12. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over. Now just stop here. Remember what's going on. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He's up front like I am. He's teaching the people. And he notices this woman. Maybe she just came in. Maybe she was back there. Who knows? But he sees this woman all bent over, hunched over. And he calls her over. He stops teaching. He interrupts the service and calls her forward. I'm telling you, he's departing from synagogue etiquette here. And I'm sure there were people out there who were kind of upset going, look, he's quit, quit the sermon. He's calling a lady forward. What is he doing? Ladies aren't supposed to be up front in the service. How come he can't do this afterwards? And you know, there's people like that in every church. And they want they want those three hymns. You know, they want they want, you know, the, the prayer, the three hymns, the offering, the sermon. They want it a certain time, in a certain way. That's right, that's our tradition. That's how we, we do it here. We've always done it that way. It's good to just not do it that way, just for those people. <laughs> They're always trying to see what I'm going to tolerate during the service. Hey, hey, we can do anything we want, but I'm preaching for an hour. So, um, you know, have the music at the end, at the beginning, whatever. But that's it. Um, that's my conviction. Uh, but yeah, there's just sometimes we get all bent out of shape because we want our things our, our way. I mean, we get used to things. And granted, we go to a church that doesn't do it that way. Well, they're very godly. It's legalism. It's legalism. So Jesus calls this woman forward, surely offending the legalist present who thought stopping the sermon, calling a woman to the front, you know, all this distraction was just highly improper. It was not following with their tradition. Look at the middle of verse 12. And he said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Jesus does a miracle right in front of everybody in the synagogue. He displays God's power in front of everyone. Now, how would you respond if this happened? You know, some some Sunday, you know, I'm preaching away and I'm getting down on things. And all of a sudden, somebody that we all know who's been here a long time, who has some illness or sickness or whatever... Um, all of a sudden I just stop and say, you come forward. I go down there, I pray. And all of a sudden the person's healed. I mean, what would you be thinking then? I mean, think about that. I mean, if it was legitimate and they were healed of some organic disease and uh, you'd probably be blown away. I mean, that would be like, whoa, um, that's usually the normal response. I don't know about you, but I'd be out there if I was in your seats, I'd be thinking, well, what does this mean? What does this mean that the power of God has been displayed here? 
How did that happen? Why did that happen? I mean, those are kind of normal responses. Hopefully, you wouldn't be sitting there thinking, who cares that you healed that person? You interrupted the sermon. (laughs) That would be a, a wrong response. It would be to miss the big thing for the little thing. Now, there were some people present, according to verse 17, who were rejoicing at this. But look at verse 14. Not all were rejoicing. Look at it says, but a synagogue official, that is the person who kind of was the the organizer of the proceedings for the morning, indignant because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. He's angry that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. What does that tell us about him? Be like you seeing somebody healed in a service of some major thing that some person we've known that was sick for a long time. You see him healed and you're going, I can't believe it that you interrupted the sermon. (laughs) See, isn't that just wrong? That's broken, isn't it? The synagogue official is a serious case of legalism. Why? Because he has misinterpreted the text on the Sabbath And their application. Now, if you go up to a legalist like this and you say, hey, 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 you know, why are you so bent out of shape? It's okay if we heal on the Sabbath. He would go, do you know what Deuteronomy 5 verses 12 through 14 says? And you'd go, well, I don't have it memorized. Well, let me tell you. (laughs) Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. It is you shall not do any work. Do you see that in the word of God? No work. You just healed that person. That is a work. Therefore, you have just violated the Sabbath. And that's how it is. That's how legalists work, man. They have verses. They have verses. I want you to know. They're just not interpreted correctly. See, what they did is they took this concept of, of not do any work and they interpreted it as not exert any physical energy. That's how they interpreted it. What God meant is stop working your business, stop working your trade, stop trying to provide for yourself one day a week. Trust God to take care of you during those six days. And on that one day, you cease from trying to provide for yourself and just rest. Worship God, fellowship with people, have a barbecue, you know, just relax. The Jews, though, in order to try and be extra holy, started adding to the scriptures little regulations to try and help people apply this Don't exert any physical energy whatsoever on the Sabbath. And they begin to add things like, uh, you know, um, you can't push a button on the Sabbath. You can't flip a light switch on the Sabbath. You can't walk over a thousand paces. You can't lift anything heavier than a fig. And, you know, you think you're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. You can go down to uh, Cedar sinai 
uh, on a Saturday and you'll find out they have two elevators there. You know, they have the gringo Gentile elevator and then they have the Sabbath elevator. The Sabbath elevator is that elevator that you get into and it just goes up and it stops and every single floor all the way up and every floor on the way down. It just keeps going all day up and down. Why? Because pushing a button is work. Look, how do they put on their shoes and their clothes? You know, I, but the thing is, is do you see, do you see how you in a desire to do what is right and desire to, to obey the express commands of the word of God, how you can say, well, if we shouldn't do any work, that means no activity. No physical exertion at all for any reason in any circumstance. And so let's make some more rules. Don't lift anything, you know, heavier than this. Don't walk any farther than this. Don't do. And you begin to create all of these man-made rules when God is just saying, hey, take a day off and rest. That's it. That's it. Do good to people. Worship God. Have fun. Rest. Just relax. Just relax. Henry Ironside points out that the legalist is more concerned about keeping rules. He writes, quote, many people go along the line of least resistance because they do not want to bow their heart before God and really get right with him. They place the emphasis on outward things, attending church and ordinances such as baptism and the Lord's Supper or elaborate ritualistic services. They stress these things rather than the recognition of the Lordship of Christ and the salvation of man, end quote. And what he's saying is this. It's a lot easier to obey rules and deal with your own wicked heart before Christ. That is the hard part. It's hard to deal with other people at a heart level. You know, uh, even among the elders, we have, you know, little accountability groups. And so we get together with different elders and, you know, we kind of unload on each other. But, you know, those times it takes a little effort. It's very easy to talk shallow surface. You know, how about the Mets? And did you read in the paper? And those kind of things. But when you get down to, so how are you doing with your walk with the Lord? So are you loving your wife? Are you maintaining purity? When you begin to deal with heart issues, that is uncomfortable for the asker. And it's uncomfortable for the ASCII, isn't it? Why? Because you're dealing at a heart level. It's also a lot easier to just do rituals and to go through spiritual activities than to have a relationship with the Lord and know that he sees your heart, sees the motive for why you do everything, is watching your life and constantly to be in fellowship with him so that you're working to have a relationship with God. That's hard. Obeying rules is easy. And so Ironside says the, the legalist just is into rules, not relationships with Christ or other people. The synagogue official, he doesn't care about the woman's pain. He doesn't care about the woman's suffering. He doesn't care that a miracle of God has just happened in his synagogue or what that miracle indicates about Jesus. I mean, at least it means Jesus is a prophet of God, that God is in favor with, because why would God empower somebody to do a miracle like that and sin? But see, that never comes into his mind. All he knows is you've broken tradition. You've broken tradition. 
That's what he was concerned about. R. Ken Hughes comments, quote, what a slab of ecclesiastical granite. He had no heart to pity the poor woman's plight, no eye for the beauty of Christ's compassion, no soul to rejoice with the woman's deliverance, no ear for the music of her praise, end quote. He just, all the important things, Christ and this woman and praising God were all ignored because the tradition has been broken. And we need to really be careful That when we're living our life, we don't neglect those two commands to love God and to love our neighbor. Those are so critical because if you aren't loving God and loving your neighbor, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to end up concerned with rules instead of God and people. I don't know if you remember back in Luke chapter six, verses one through 11. There's two other Sabbath instances we looked at. One is Jesus is going along and him and his disciples are walking through the field and he grabs some heads of grain and you rub them, kind of does a little minister threshing floor thing, blows out the chaff and you pop them in your mouth and you eat them. Okay, that's totally fine. According to the law of Moses, it's fine to do in the Sabbath. It's not working your trade it's not working to make a living for yourself you're just getting a bite to eat you know you're just eating on the sabbath and they're they're all offended because he's working the guy's threshing grain you know in the palm of his hand and jesus says do you remember david when he him and his men were starving and they went in and ate the consecrated bread which was unlawful for men to eat and then they're thinking yeah he did do that didn't he Yeah, and God didn't condemn him either. Hmm. Why is that? Because the the showbread on the table of showbread, that consecrated bread, yes, there were regulations about it. Yes, it was to be there as a memorial before the Lord. Yes, only the priests were to eat it. That was the standard rule. That was its purpose. But God never said, listen, I want that bread on that table. I don't care if a whole army of men starves. I want it on the table. See, it was never his intent. There are things more important than a memorial before the Lord. Like the preservation of life. And so in that instance, because of that extreme circumstance, he was given the bread. God was fine with it. Later on, there's the man with the withered hand and. It's the Sabbath day. Jesus heals him and they're all indignant because he heals the man with the withered hand. It says they were filled with rage because he did it. Rage because he healed a man with a withered hand. I mean, it's not like Jesus had to do a whole bunch of work. He just spoke words. I mean, they're speaking. (laughs) Do you see the hypocrisy here? It's like, well, you just healed the guy. Well, yeah, I just said be healed. (laughs) You know, I said less words than you just did. Um And yet they see Jesus is working and this other guy uh, uh, and themselves, they're they're totally unconcerned about the guy who got healed. And themselves are saying, well, we're being righteous. We're kind of defenders of the law. And even in in Luke chapter 14, look there. We're going to be here not too long, hopefully. Um, In Luke 14, verses 1 through 6, it's kind of a very similar situation. Um, 
It says, and it happened that when he went into a house and one of the leaders of the Pharisees, it was on the Sabbath to eat bread. So he's not teaching the Sabbath. They've kind of kicked him out of the synagogue as a teacher. But he's now in one of the leaders of the Pharisees house. And there's other Pharisees there because they were watching him closely. So they're all watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, there are. They don't want to answer this, it says, but they kept silent. You know, what do you say? And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you, having a son or ox, followed a well, will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. Why? Because they would all pull their son or their ox out of a well if it fell in there. I don't know how an ox gets into a well, but um, <laughs> they would all do that. They would all do that. They would take in a situation like that. They would do good to the ox and do good to the son. Well, in our text, Jesus just uses oxes and donkeys. He doesn't even get to the people thing. You are willing, Jesus knows, to feed. You do this every Sabbath. You feed and you water your animals. You exert physical energy, your interpretation, your false interpretation of the Sabbath, to take care of your animals. But you're telling me I can heal this woman by laying my hands on her and speaking a word. See the hypocrisy there? They're breaking the Sabbath by their own rules in certain areas of their life. You know, those people go, well, listen, I don't smoke because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you smoke, you're sinning. Well, so you're what you're saying here. You shouldn't smoke because your body's temple is spirit and smoking is bad for you. Therefore, if you smoke, you're doing something bad for you. Therefore, you're sinning. Yeah. Okay. Do you always wear sunscreen when you go outside? You always drink your eight glasses of water a day. Do you ever eat ice cream? (laughs) Do you ever eat chocolate? Well, chocolate's good for you. Some of the women are getting out their stones to stone me. Um, You know, do you ever eat any saturated frat French fries? You know, um, there, there's the person, well, I don't smoke because it's bad for you, but they're doing 50 other things that are bad for them. Well, Hey, you want to smoke? Fine. Now go throw a stone at me because I smoke and you're eating French fries. Now don't get me wrong here. I'm not advocating smoking, at least not during the service and especially not with big fat cigars. But the whole point is, is we sometimes have these reasons, biblical reasons why we do or don't do certain things. And we then look at other people who don't do what we have chosen not to do. We cast stones at them or think they're less holy or they're sinning. But really, if we took that same principle and put it up to our life, we discover that we're violating the same principle in other areas. That we're condemning these people. We're not talking about biblical mandates here. We're talking about areas of conviction, areas of liberty, of conscience. And so be very careful that you have convictions that are your own and that you approve of the things you do before the Lord, but that you don't cast stones at other people for things God would not cast stones at them for. Secondly, legalists are exposed when others break their rules. I mean, if you want to find out where a legalist is, you just break their rules. You'll find out. Usually, though, they don't tell you to your face. Usually they're they're Usually what happens is, is you find out, you know, later from a person who talked to a person who talked to a person who talked to the person who talked to the person 
who said that was sinful. You know, it kind of comes through, it kind of works through the church like a flu virus. Pretty soon you get it. You are sinning because you haven't done this thing or obeyed this rule or you violated or whatever. So usually you get it through some other source because they don't want to tell you that you've broken their code and you violated, you know, their sense of right and wrong, their rules. They've added to the scriptures. But notice here in verse uh, 14 of chapter 13, it says, but the synagogue official indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. Notice who the synagogue official addresses. Jesus is the one who healed. Jesus is the one who supposedly broke the Sabbath. But when the synagogue official addresses the crowd, he won't even look Jesus in the face. He's a coward, as many legalists are. They try and use peer pressure. They try and use their group. They try and get other people to buy into their rules. And then they try and use the we have determined type of a thing. Our group sees you as this because this collection of people have hold to these convictions and therefore we're elevating these convictions the same authority of scripture we're condemning you because you aren't doing what we think our kent hughes says quote he was a chicken-hearted religious snob he did not lower himself to address jesus directly but turned to the people there are six days for work so coming and healed on the day on one of those days and not the sabbath His heart was pumping formaldehyde. He breathed arsenic. He fancied that he was a lover of the law and its protector. However, his lack of love for for the woman showed that he did not love his neighbors himself, indicating that he did not love God, end quote. That's exactly right. This is typical legalistic behavior. Our response to the legalist should always be to ask, where stands it written? Can you show me that in the Bible? Smoking is sinful. Could you show me that in the Bible? We shouldn't have drums in church. Could you show me that in the Bible? Dancing is evil. Could you show me that in the Bible? Of course, we should do this in as kind and as gentle way as possible, but we should do it. Why? Because legalism is really holds people captive to wrong priorities. It creates wrong views of other people. It just becomes bitter and complaining and censorious. And so as we see this in our lives, as we see it in other people's lives, we need to deal with it. Why? Because there's nothing worse. I've gone to some churches that were just, I mean, you were like walking on, you know, landmines the whole time because everybody had so many rules they had to go by. And everybody's looking at everybody else to see if everybody else is obeying all these rules. Who cares if you aren't reading your Bible? Who cares if you're looking at pornography? Who cares if you're, you know beating your wife we've got rules here and this is important and those rules even become more important you know we had this one church when i was living in idaho down the way as soon as they would get somebody into their clutches they would begin to teach them that the king james bible is the word of god It is the word of God. All others are corrupted. 
those are satanic versions of the Bible. And then they teach them all these really hokey arguments. And, and that was it. And, and it's like the whole church was just focused around this, this Bible translation, this fi- fallible Bible translation that they said was the word of God. And, and, um, and that was what they were known for. They were the, the King James only church. And nothing to say wrong about that Bible. I think it's a great Bible, but come on. And you have to be pretty naive. If you know anything of Hebrew and Greek, you know the problems with that translation or any other translation. Well, because this man had basically propounded his legalism in public, Jesus deals with him in public. This leads us to our last point. The legalists are hypocrites that need to be refuted. Now, notice what Jesus says here. The man is just kind of said, you know, go get healed on another day. But the Lord answered him, verse 15, the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. Now, notice Jesus now switches to plural. He is speaking to the man singular is the one. But just like the 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 man spoke to the crowd. Now, Jesus is not speaking. He He's addressing this official, but anybody like him. You who fall into the same category who think it's wrong to do good on the Sabbath. You hypocrites, he says. You hypocrites, plural. Look at the middle of verse 15. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? The implied answer is, of course they do. They all did it. They all exerted physical energy. And if you have a you know, a donkey or a mule, sometimes it creates some force. I don't know what it is about them, but they just kind of have this internal no thing sometimes. It's like trying to feed a two-year-old green beans, you know. They can be fine ten times in a row, and then one time they won't eat them without a battle. And he's just saying, you all know that every Sabbath you take care of your animals. Every Sabbath, you do your animals good, right? I mean, what would they say? Jesus emphasizes this in verse 16. Look there. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? I mean, what could they say? It was Jesus so masterfully exposed their legalism, so thoroughly refuted it that they, they, they couldn't say anything. Obviously, they broke their own rules. Obviously, this woman is more important than an ox or a donkey. Obviously, this woman's problem is more important than the thirst or the hunger of an ox or a donkey. She's got satanic problems. And so obviously, it would be good to do her well on the Sabbath. Then verse 17 says, and as he said this, all his opponents were being opponents were being humiliated. The entire crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things being done by him. Well, legalists need to be exposed. They need to be rebuked in as kind a way as possible. So that it doesn't creep around and infect the whole church. And so as a church, we need to be looking out in our own life. That's where we need to look first. We need to look into our own life. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, when, right before he gives that the famous definition of love? Let me just read it real quick. He says this, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, 
but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And he's using what are called hyperbolic, that is extreme examples here. He's saying, if, you know, I had all knowledge and only God has that. And, you know, if I could, you know, move mountains around and if I, you know, he's giving, he says, if I don't have love, even if I could have incredible gifts, because he's just talked about gifts in chapter 12. Now he's talking about how we need to exercise them in love. He says, if I have just the most extreme gifts that anybody could imagine and I don't have love, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. This is kind of the. The thing that keeps us from being legalists, loving other people to realize, yes, we need to obey God. Yes. When the Bible says thou shalt not murder, we need to not murder. When it says don't lust, don't lust. I mean, we can be forceful. We can be bold. We can be adamant about that. But when it comes outside the realm of what is addressed or even what you can be sure is included in some biblical command or some principle, then we need to be very careful that we aren't kind of accumulating our own personal convictions onto the scriptures, expanding the scriptures just a little bit and then judging other people because they don't hold to our same expansions. Well, when your own life, when you're sitting here and somebody comes in and they're not like you think or the service isn't what you wish it was or the music or, or the sermon or whatever, you need to ask yourself, where stands it written? That is another thing. First love, then where stands it written? Where is it in the Bible? I mean, where does it actually say what I, I believe? I mean, you know, if you have a conviction, have a conviction. If you want to abstain from something, abstain from it. Great. Praise God. But just make sure that you aren't judging other people. Why? Because it it just creates conflict. It creates discord. It creates grumbling and complaining and misery and a distraction from the two great things, the love of God and the love of one's neighbor. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this text again. We thank you for not only the good examples, but the bad ones in your scripture of this synagogue official. Who knows? Maybe after the rebuke, he came to to know you and maybe we'll see him in heaven. But Father, I just pray for each of us that we would look at our own life to make sure that we don't become legalists, that we don't add to your word and judge other people because they don't adhere to our rules that we don't go through just the religious motions, doing all the right things, but not having our heart in it. Our father, we fall into a very scary form of legalism, thinking that our works can save us. Father, if there's somebody here who has never repented of their sins and given their life to Christ, save them now. Open their heart, help them to see their sin and just to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that they might be saved. Transform them and make them new. Father, for the rest of us, may we live every day in light of your grace, obeying your word. And Father, not judging others because of their personal convictions, uh, the exercise of their liberties. Father, we just thank you for your word, for its clarity. May you help us apply it as we leave this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.